Our Father in heaven, we've come to worship you today, God, in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, for freedom of worship in this country. It's a precious possession. Help us to do all we can for the gospel while it lasts, because it will not always be there. We thank you for your sons and daughters who love you and who love your word and have come to hear the word and to fellowship one with another. If we have sinned against you, Father, forgive us. That's why there's Calvary, to provide forgiveness. Grant to me your spirit, dear God. Possess my mind. Possess my apparatus of speech. Let me be hidden and let Jesus Christ be seen. Let something I say reach every listening heart, I pray. If others are on their way, bring them safely, dear God. Thank you for loving us. We love you. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Our subject for this evening, a personal God. What did I say? Genesis 1, reading verse 1. Now you shouldn't have to look. Say for me, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now let's read that again microscopically. In the beginning... God did what? Created what? The heaven and the earth. The question may be asked, how did he do that? We go to verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We learn immediately that God is an intelligent being. God is not energy because energy does not speak. God is not an essence. God is not a vapor. God is not energy. God is an intelligent personality. God said. And he's a personality with a word that is powerful. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You look at verse 6, it's the same thing. And God said, let there be a firmament. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place. Look at verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. So we are introduced to a God who speaks. So God is not a tree. He's not a rock. He's not an animal. They don't speak. An intelligent being possesses the, the faculty of speech. That's why we were made in God's image, the animals were not. So we serve an intelligent God. He speaks. Let's go to uh, John 5. John chapter 5, we'll read verse 37. Our subject, a personal God. John 5. Verse 37. When you found it, say amen. Now, if you have my version, the KJV, you may read aloud. If you have a different version, don't read aloud because we'll have a little confusion. And all things should be done decently and in order. So if you have my version, the King James Version, you may feel free to read aloud. John 5, verse 37. What does that say? And the Father also which have sent me hath borne witness of me. Keep reading. Ye have what? Neither heard his voice, come on, nor at any time, nor seen his shape. Now, what we discovered in Genesis 1, 
Christ mentioned in Matthew, John 5, God has a voice. Well, we know that from Genesis 1. But Christ says, you've neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. God the Father has a shape. He has a form. And we can come to some fairly tantalizing conclusions about God's form because we were made in his image. Are you with me? We were made in God's image. In the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45, paragraph 2, Ella White writes, Man was to bear God's image both in outward resemblance and in character. Now, Moses said to God in Exodus 33, Show me thy glory. And God told him in verse 20, They can no man see my face and live. God has a face. In Exodus 33, in verse 23, after God told Moses, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And he said in verse 33, 23, I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So in verse 23 of Exodus 33, we have three things mentioned about God. He has a face. He has a hand. He has a back part as opposed to his front. What am I trying to tell you? God is a personal being. When you pray, don't pray to a doctrine. Don't pray to a teaching. Don't pray to an idea. Pray to a person. When you're in difficulty and in trouble, talk to a person. God is a person. Are you with me? Go to Micah chapter 7. Micah 7. We'll read verse 18. Micah 7. One of those minor prophets that most preachers don't ever preach from. So it takes a little while to find Micah. Do you have Micah 7 verse 18? When you've got it, say amen. Read with me. Who is a God like unto thee that does what? That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. Keep reading. He retaineth not his anger forever. Keep reading. He delighteth in mercy. Now what do we learn about God in that verse? He's what? I can't hear you. He pardons. Energy doesn't pardon you. A vapor can't pardon you. Electricity doesn't pardon you. He pardons. That's a moral act. What else do you learn about God from that verse? Well, he delights. So we have two things. God can experience and express delight. And one of the things he delights in is being merciful. Let me say it again. God expresses delight. And one of the objects upon which he expresses delight, or one of the reasons he delights, is in showing mercy. The verse also says God gets angry. God is a personal, intelligent being. So is also the Holy Ghost and the Son. Where well, we know about the Son. 
Let's look at God a little more closely. Go to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, we'll read verse 3. Our subject, a personal God. Hebrews 1, reading verse 3. Do you have that? Read with me. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. God is a person. He has a personality. Now I need to stress this. Because for many people, God is a distant idea. He's a distant concept. And even if we think he's a personality, he is a distant and far removed personality. God is not far removed. Let me show you one of the greatest desires that exist in the heart of God. Exodus 19, let's read from verse 4. This is God speaking to Moses. Exodus 19, we'll read from verse 4. The Israelites have been out of Egypt for a few weeks, the third month, by the way. And God calls Moses up to the mountain, and here is what God tells Moses. Exodus 19, reading from verse 4. If you found it, say amen. Read with me. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Stop. When the Israelites were in Egypt, were they Abraham's descendants, yes or no? Yes. So did they have a special connection with God because of that? Yes. But listen again to verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Finish the verse. And brought you unto myself. What is God saying? God wanted a relationship so intimate and so close. He does not want anyone else nearby. And so he removed them. When you go on a date with your girlfriend, you don't want her little brother there. Are you with me? Am I right or am I wrong? That's the way it works in the U.S. How does it work in Australia? You want a kangaroo with you? No, just you and your girlfriend. Are you following me? And so God is saying, no, just me and the Israelites. Let me get them out of Egypt, brought you unto myself. God is a God of intimacy. Yes, you're Abraham's people, so you're special to me, but you're not close enough. By virtue of your being in Egypt, I am removing you so that you and I can have a relationship without anyone else hanging around. Brought you unto myself. Verse 5. Read with me. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Next verse. Then, stop. What does then introduce? If you do that, then that. What does that mean to you? It's a process. It's a step by step. If you do this, then comes that. It's an action and consequence is a cause and effect. If ye obey my voice indeed, not anybody else's voice, mine, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be what? A peculiar treasure unto me. Read the next few words. Do you have, do you have a Bible with you? Well, okay, do you have a phone with a Bible on it? Read the next few words. Then you shall be what? A peculiar, come on, treasure unto me. Keep reading. Above all people. Stop. Let me ask you this. 
Is God closer to some people than he is to others? You're taking too long to answer. Yes. He just said that. Ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above, tell me, all people. Is God closer to some than he is to others? Yes. Was Christ closer to Peter, James, and John? Yes. Speak with confidence even when you're wrong. Are you with me? <laughs> so when I ask you to talk to me, talk to me. We're a spiritual family. I won't make fun of you and don't do the same to me. Now, so God says, A peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God wanted to be close to the Israelites. The remarkable thing about God's sense of intimacy is that he desires to be close to us more than we desire to be close to him. Here's a sinless God chasing sinners to be close to them. Here's a sinless God chasing a prostitute down the streets of Melbourne. I want to get close to you. And she's running. Here's God, a sinless God, chasing an alcoholic through the back streets of Melbourne. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not chasing you to arrest you. I want to get close to you. Here's God chasing a drug addict. Hold up. I want to hang out with you. God believes in closeness, intimacy with us. Let me be a little astonishing. God's closeness with us, what he desires, is a closeness the angels don't enjoy with him. Let me modify my phraseology. God wants to be closer to us than he is to angels. Go to Leviticus 20. What's our subject? A personal God. Leviticus 20. Let's read verse 26. Of course, I realize it may not be your culture to read out loud when the preacher asks you to. But I'll keep asking until I lose my voice. Read with me if you have the King James Version. Leviticus, what chapter did I say? 20, what verse? 26. Are you there? Read with me. What does it say? And ye shall be what? Holy unto me. Stop. Why? Keep reading. For I, the Lord, am holy. Stop. Is electricity holy? Is energy holy? Is a vapor holy? Holiness is a moral characteristic. God is a moral being. He believes in righteousness, which is right doing. That's morality. God is a moral being. The gods of the Greeks and the Romans were immoral. They were immoral. They had sex with each other, fornication, adultery, murder, intrigue. They were immoral. Why? Because they were made in the image of the Romans and the Greeks. I lost you. Are you with me? The Romans and the Greeks made them. So they made their gods in their image. Adulterers, fornicators, thieves, liars, murderers. But God made us in his image, asking us to be like him, which is holy, righteous, pure, sinless. 
and ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. Keep reading that verse for me. And have done what? Severed you. Come on. From other nations, come on, that you should be mine. Here again, we have God stressing, I want you to be mine. But there's a condition, you must allow me to cut you off from other nations. Other people. Now, recite John 3.16 for me. Stop. God loves the whole world. But he's not close to the whole world. Go to John 17. John 17. This is the prayer of Christ. And after that prayer, in John 18, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Almost the final words of a dying man. John 17. Listen to verse 9. Read it for me. I pray for them. Stop. Who is them? The disciples. Keep reading. I pray not for the world. Stop. Now, does God love the whole world? Did Jesus come to die for the whole world? Was he praying for the whole world then? No. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Jesus said, in this critical hour, my focus is on my disciples. I pray for them. I pray for Gateway. I don't pray for that rock band. I pray for God's commandment keeping people. God wants a relationship with you that is intimate, personal, and one-on-one. -on -one. Before it is God in a group, it has to be God in an individual. By the look on your face, you're asking me, explain. Go to Genesis 2. Before we go, let's pray. Father in heaven, I shouldn't speak long without seeking more grace. If in this short period I've said anything I shouldn't have, forgive me. Now, Lord, tighten your grip on my tongue, on my mind, on my mouth, on me. Let me be an unresisting instrument in your hand, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 2, verse 7. You shouldn't have to look, not for that verse. Okay, you're looking, so look. Okay, have you found it? Say it for me. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, question for you, whom did God make in Genesis 2, 7? Whom did God make in Genesis 2-7? Adam and Eve. Does the verse say that? No. In Genesis 2-7, God only made Adam, not Eve. I need to stress that as I try to explain why God is a personal God. He did not make Eve in Genesis 2-7. Let's look at a chronology. Uh, let's, well, it's not really a chronology. It's a chronology, yes. But uh, if you, you're not careful, you may think that what you read in verse 8 
occurs right where it is. It actually occurred in verse 11 of chapter 1. When God made all the trees, he made a garden. Everything was prepared for Adam. But verse 8 simply means God had planted a garden eastward in Eden. You understand? And there he put the man. Now, verse 9, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So we have Adam made. Here's where you work. Verse 16, 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. He gives Adam's restrictions, which he had to pass on, of course, his wife. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So clearly the woman had not been made. Verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. The woman does not exist. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. When God made Adam, Eve did not exist. Now we go to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now the woman is made. Adam was made in seven. She was made in 21 to 22. If that's the case, we're talking about a personal God. Listen to me carefully. When Adam opened his eyes, whom did he see? God. Whom else did he see? Not what else. Whom else did he see? Nobody else. He saw his creator. Are you following me? Well, say yes or no. All right. Which means that Adam and God, we don't know how long, they had some time, what's the next word? Together. Before what? Before Eve came along. By the way, have time with God first before a boyfriend comes along. Is my microphone working? <laughs> have some time with God first before girlfriend comes along. Because that time with God will give you the proper perspective from which to judge the fitness of that girlfriend or that boyfriend. Adam opened his eyes. He saw his creator. They had some form of relationship. Then God brought Eve into the picture. But let's look at Eve's creation. Verse 21. You read it for me if you have verse 21 and you have my King James Version. What does it say? And the Lord God did what? Caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. Stop. When Jesus was told that Lazarus was dead, what did he say? He sleepeth. Now, many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Daniel 12, 2. In the Bible, sleep symbolizes what? Death. Now, reason with me. What does the Bible say God did to Adam? He put him to sleep. Is there some adjective missing? A deep sleep. So Adam was practically what? Dead. <laughs> Dead. Now, if you read the end of verse 22, what does it say? And brought her, so Adam was not right on the spot. Are you with me? He was somewhere, 
enjoying his death, and God had to bring Eve to him. The same way, verse 19, God brought the cattle to Adam. Or the animals now. So God puts Adam to sleep. He's dead. He's out of the picture because Adam has nothing to do with Eve's creation. And Eve had nothing to do with Adam's creation. That's Adam and God, Eve and God. So Eve opens her eyes and she sees God. That's personal. Start with me, says God. Let's establish a relationship. When that's established, it becomes a safe environment in which to bring someone else. Then he took her to Adam. My brothers and sisters, God is first a personal God, then a social God. We are not saved as families. Now that may hit your culture very hard, but it's biblical. We are not saved as families. We are saved how? As individuals. Because God is a one-to-one God. First. So just because your family are Adventists does not secure your salvation. Having made Adam... Then, God made Eve. In making Eve, Adam was not around. One-to-one with Adam, one-to-one with Eve. Then, God brought them together. God is a personal God. Now, let's go to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Our subject, a personal God. Let's read verse 9. Read with me. Read verse 9 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, what? Where art thou? Stop. Was there anyone else in the garden? Who? Eve. Eve. Whom does God call? Adam first. Does he speak to Eve? Yes. In verse 13. But he speaks to Adam first. Or individually. Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman. This is a one-to-one accounting for behavior. It is not a family examination. Again, it may cause you some concussion because of your exposure to family values which we which are all fine don't misunderstand me but the judgment is not an examination of families it is an examination of individuals because God is an individual God now let me say quickly God invented the family are you with me but he starts with the individual and so he talks to Adam what have you done When he was done with Adam, he turned to Eve. When he was done with Eve, he turned to the serpent. Then he gave Eve her punishment, verse 16, gave Adam his. Because of what he did. Eve was punished according to what she did. And her position, Adam was punished according to what he did and his position. Individual. 
Let me show you the individuality of God from a different standpoint. Let's go to Mark 14. Let's read verse 50. Mark 14, verse 50. What time is it? 8.40 already. All right. Does anyone have 8.35? No? Okay. All right. What book did I say? Mark. What chapter? 14. What verse? 50. It's a short verse. Read it for me and don't disappoint me. Read it. What does it say? They all forsook him and fled. Who is all? The disciples. They left Jesus. Fine. Go to a... Mark 15, read verse 34. Mark 15, 34. You have that? What does that say? And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried, loud voice, uh-huh. What did he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, let's look at those two incidents. Who ran and left him in the garden? So who was with Jesus? Physically. Nobody. To support nobody. Now he's on the cross. What does the father do? What does the father do? Forsake him. For a while. Turns away. The father didn't leave the cross. He was there. The son couldn't see him. But the father turned away from all that sin. Because Christ was a sinner on the cross. Let me say that differently. He never sinned, but he was treated like. He took our sins. Now, the father turned away from that. And Jesus felt the turning away. So he cried out, why? Because he and the father had never been separated before. So what do we have? The disciples have left him. They took off running. Now the father has turned away. Now, keeping this in mind, listen to Hebrews. Don't go there. Just listen. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. Disciples gone. The father turned away. Now let me ask you this. Reason with me. If the father turned away, what did the Holy Spirit do? Come on, reason. He turned away. If the Father turned away and the Holy Ghost turned away, you tell me, what did the angels do? They turned away. Then who was with Christ emotionally? By himself. And verse says, when he had by himself. It's not that the Father ceased to love him. The Father could not look on that sin. And the Holy Ghost can't go contrary to the Father. Here's Christ by himself, and he makes a personal choice to do what? Stay on that cross. Abandoned, strong word, by the apostles, the disciples, abandoned by the Father, strong word again, abandoned by the Holy Ghost, abandoned by the angels. He's on that cross by himself, and he makes a personal decision. The Father turned away, the angels gone, the Holy Ghost gone, the disciples gone, well, let me go too. No, I'll stay. Tell me why he stayed. Come on, why did he say? Love, come on. For whom? For ice cream? Love for whom? Love for you. He loved the world. And love for his father. Because his father did what? Sent him to die. We serve 
a personal God. As personal as the person sitting next to you. We serve a personal Holy Ghost. Go to Acts 13 quickly. My time is flying by on eagle's wings. Acts 13. But I'll finish by 9. We come back tomorrow. What book did I say? Acts, what chapter? 13, reading from verse 1. Acts 13 from verse 1. Do you have my version? Read with me. Now there was... Come on, in the church, there was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. How many people there? Five. Name them. Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, Herod is not, he wasn't there. It's just some explanatory note about Manan. So, Herod is not in the group. All right. Five. Now, listen to verse two. As they what? Minister to the Lord and fasted. Now, you read for me. The Holy Ghost, come on, said, stop. What did we learn about God in Genesis 1? He speaks. What did we learn about the Holy Ghost? He speaks. The Holy Ghost said. What did he say? Separate me, Barnabas, come on, read. And Saul, for the work, come on, whereunto I have. Mm-hmm. I called them. Now, the Holy Ghost is intelligent because he looks at five men and he decides the two best suited for the work. Electricity doesn't do that. A vapor. Now, the Holy Ghost is a mystery, we know that. But we know enough about him to realize we're dealing with an intelligent personality. He says, no, I don't want Lucius, I don't want Simeon, I don't want uh, Manan. I want Barnabas and Saul. Notice the order, Barnabas and Saul. Later on, it's Saul and Barnabas, you see, because after a while, Paul took the ascendancy. But at this early stage, Paul is still green. The Holy Ghost says, Barnabas and Saul. And that's deliberate. Because Barnabas was the leader. Deliberate. The Holy Ghost. Read verse 3. Come on, verse 3. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they did what? Send them away. Now, verse 3 says, they send them away. But verse 4 explains what that means. Read verse 4. So they being sent forth by... It was the Holy Ghost that told the other disciples, send them away. <laughs> they were sent by the Holy Ghost. Now, we read in verse 2, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Read Luke 4.18. Those were the only men the Holy Ghost gave a commission to. Read Luke 4.18. Listen to Jesus Christ. Luke 4, 18. Luke was a medical doctor, by the way. So for those of you studying medicine and dentistry and nursing, that's no reason not to serve God effectively. Do you have Luke 4, 18? Read with me. Listen to Jesus. What does he say? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Keep reading. For he hath what? Anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Stop. The Spirit of God anointed Christ and directed Christ on the earth. Now, Christ is the creator. 
He was the one who said, let there be light. And the Father tells us that in Hebrews 1.10, where the Father says to the Son, Thou, Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. That's what the Father said to the Son. The Father identifies the Son as the Creator. Now the Holy Ghost directs the Son. Only a divine being can direct a divine being. Did I lose you? You didn't say yes or no. Are you with me? Only a divine being can direct a divine being. Gabriel can't tell the Father what to do. So the fact that the Holy Ghost could tell Christ the Creator what to do, the Holy Ghost himself must be divine. I'm telling you, we have a personal Father, we have a personal Holy Ghost. Do we know everything about them? No. We know a little more about Jesus. Let's go to Luke 24 quickly. What time is it, sister? I ask with great trepidation. What time is it? What? Oh, 45. All right. Not too bad. Luke 24. Let's read from verse 36. We're coming to the end of a personal God. We looked at the Father, took a glimpse at the Spirit. Now the Son, who took our flesh. Luke 24, verse 36. When you find that, say amen. Read with me. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, you've stopped reading, Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your heart? Keep reading. Behold my what? Hands, come on, and my feet, that it is I myself. Stop. Is this before the resurrection or after? After. What is Jesus saying? Well, let's finish. Behold my hands and feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, finish that verse. For a spirit, come on, hath not flesh and as ye see me have now. Jesus says a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. But I have them. Now he's God and man at the same time. He's proving that he's what? He said, handle me. I'm physical. I am three-dimensional. Am I right, Dr. Now? Or Dr. Um, don't tell me. Shadow. Huh? Blood vessels are three-dimensional things. Right or wrong? Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I have flesh and bones. As you see me have. Yet he was still God. We have a creator and a savior who has flesh and bones. Now, go to uh, Matthew 28 and see how much it costs God to save us. Matthew 28, let's read from verse 1. Our subject, a personal God. We have 10 minutes left. Matthew 28, reading from verse 1. 28 of Matthew, verse 1. Have you found it? Amen. Read with me. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was what? A great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled away from the stone, the stone from the door, and sat upon it. Verse 3. His countenance was like, and his raiment white as, and for fear of him the keepers did, and became as dead men. Read verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto whom? He said what? Fear not ye, come on, for I know whom you seek. Who's that? Jesus, 
Ah, which was crucified. Now, read the next verse. He is not here. Now, I want you to stop. You're all intelligent. Do some thinking with me. Favor number three. Listen. Now, there are three things about God. Three qualities he has. A divine being is? Three qualities. He is? Omnipotent. He is? Omniscient. He is? Omnipresent. All right. I told you. Let's look at the cost of salvation. Listen to the angel. He is not what? Here. He's somewhere else. Can you say that of an, of an omnipresent person? Come on, talk to me. So Christ has laid aside what? His omnipresence. He cannot be. Every, I didn't say he lost it. I said he laid it aside. That's your savior. Part of the cost of your salvation is a personal decision to lay aside one of the qualities of divinity, omnipresence. The angel said, he is not here. He's somewhere else. Now, you can't say that about the Holy Ghost. You can't say, where's the Holy Ghost? Where well, he's in Malaysia convicting someone of sin. When he's done, he'll pop up in Indonesia. No, he's all, he's all over the place at the same time. How that happens, we don't know. But Christ can't do that. Because he is locked in human flesh, willingly, he cannot be everywhere at the same time, even though he is still God. Now, having said that, he's in human flesh, he can't be everywhere. John 14, 1 to 3, don't turn to it. Say it. It's not written on my face, just say it. <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. You know, Christ likes to tell you what you need to know. If Sunday were the Sabbath, I would have told you. If I wanted a man to have two wives, if I wanted you to eat pork, mm -hmm. if it were not so, come on, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Question for you. Are angels powerful beings? One angel came down. Matthew 28, there was an earthquake. One. One angel killed 185,000 of Sennacherib's army. Sennacherib's army. The Assyrians. 185,000 in one night. One angel. Could an angel have prepared the home for us? Yes. Listen to Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. And if... I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you where? Unto myself. But think with me. Is Jesus with us now, yes or no? Yes. But what do you mean? Is he with us personally? Does he have flesh and bones, yes or no? Yes, he said that. Is Christ with us on a flesh and bones level, yes or no? No. How is he with us? Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. He is not with us on a personal flesh and bones level as we are with one another. But he wants that. And so he tells the disciples, I will come again. And do what? Where? Unto myself. He is not satisfied. With dwelling with us through the Holy Ghost. Now we're grateful for that. 
but that's not close enough. I want to represent myself. So I'm coming for you. No need for the Holy Ghost to represent me. God bless the Holy Ghost. Don't misunderstand me. The Bible says you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, there's no forgiveness. So I'm choosing my words carefully. Don't mess with the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? But Christ wants to be with us personally. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. My brothers and sisters, we serve a God who is dying to be close to us. A friend of mine lost her mother in Kenya. Precious, precious friend. And I sent her text, trying to console the best I can. Jesus had a mother, an earthly mother. Right or wrong? Mary. When Christ went back to heaven, did he take some people with him? Yes or no? Yes. Did he take his mother? No. Now, I don't understand that. I have to ask him when I see him, but he didn't take his mother. Which means that Christ stayed up in heaven and watched his mother grow old. All the angels knew. You see that old woman? That's the, that's the mother of God. He watched his mother perhaps fall and break her hip. Did Isaac go blind? Was Isaac blind? Yes. Do things happen to God's people? Yes. Did God dislocate the hip of Jacob and he limped for the rest of his life? Yes. Things happen to God's people. She might have fallen, broken her hip. And Jesus looks down and watches his mother with a stick. And he sees it. Then she dies, all the angels know the mother of the creator has died. And I told my friend, Jesus understand what it means to have your mother die. He can sympathize with you even more than your husband. He is feeling what you're feeling. In the Zyre of Ages, page 823, paragraph 4, L.O.I. says, Christ feels the woes of every sufferer. She says, if you have a fever, Christ burns up with a fever. Did you hear what I said? If you have a fever because of Christ's humanity, he feels the fever. That's personal. What's our subject? A personal God. God wants a personal relationship with you. The church comes second. Now, you didn't hear what I just said. Let me say it again. You and Christ first. The church comes second. In Acts chapter 9, what happened to Saul on the way to Damascus? Tell me quickly. Quicker than that. <laughs> Come on. What happened to Saul? He met Christ. Was he converted on that road to Damascus? Yes. Then Christ sent him to the church. He and Christ had to get it together first. Then Christ sent him to the church in uh, Damascus. God is not a doctrine. God is not a theory. God is not a proposition. 
Tell me what God is. A person. A personality. An intelligent being who desires a relationship with you at what level? The personal level. Do you have that relationship with Christ? The Father? Do you have it? Don't answer me. You can leave this room with it. It's not difficult. You simply give your life to Christ. You ask me, how do I do that? You just say it. How was the universe made? He said it. But you've got to say it not from your mouth and your soft palate. You've got to say it from where? Your heart. Let me ask you now and answer me with courage. How many of you desire a close relationship with Jesus Christ? Make your hand. Keep your hands up. When you raise your hands, were you serious? Yes or no? Stand up with me. While I pray, you pray in your heart. Just recommit your life to Christ and mean it. That's all you need to do. Recommit your life to Christ. When Peter was drowning, what did he say? Lord, save me. That's it. The publican, what did he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was it. Christ said he went down to his house, justified. While I pray, you seem to say, Father, come, dwell within me. Be close to me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, we thank you today, God, for your undying love. This restless desire you have to be close to us, the only place in the universe where people sinned, you desire a closeness with us. Please, God, open our eyes that we may appreciate and understand the honor it is to have God of heaven and earth, the possessor of heaven and earth, desire a relationship with us. Closer than that which he has with the angels. Please, God, as we in our hearts, as we quietly pray and we surrender our lives to you anew, or maybe for the first time, accept that surrender. We're doing the best we can. Father, now take it and draw us to your bosom. As Jesus said, that where I am, there you may be also. Draw us to your bosom, dear God. Wrap your arms around us and keep us in your bosom. Let's leave this place with the assurance I serve a personal God who would have died for me if I were the only human being on earth. Bless those with questions and uncertainty and doubt. Remove that doubt through the stubborn display of your love. Let us sleep tonight with the consciousness that the God of heaven and earth is watching over us because we are his lovers. Give us a safe night's rest. Post an angel in every bed. Bring us back tomorrow day, God, to listen to your life-changing word again. I pray from my heart in Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.